What steps are taken to ensure the integrity of high-rise structures on the South Carolina coast? Let's go to the bench. Legal news, information, and interviews from Collins & Lacey, a leading South Carolina defense firm for construction, workers' comp, hospitality, retail, trucking, professional liability, mediation, government, and ethics matters. The views expressed by the guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect that of Collins & Lacey, its management, or employees. This is The Legal Bench. And welcome to The Legal Bench. I'm Michael Burney, Director of Business Development for Collins & Lacey Law Firm in Columbia, South Carolina. Collins & Lacey attorney and shareholder Claude Prevost is joined by forensic engineer George Sanford. Let's join the discussion. This morning we have George Sanford, who is a senior consulting engineer with Warren Forensics in Columbia, South Carolina. George is a licensed professional engineer in multiple states. He has over 20 years of applied structural engineering experience, uh, specializing in building design, building components, and foundation design. George holds a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from North Carolina State University. George has an extensive background in residential, commercial, and industrial structures and foundations. We're happy to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks very much, Claude. Happy to be here. Just to get the show started or the podcast started, could you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. So I've been a structural engineer, practicing structural engineer now for almost 30 years. That uh, bio it cuts it a little short there with the 20. But um, I started my career as a, a structural designer designing generator rotors for the utility companies for Westinghouse in Charlotte. So that was a great uh, position and a great opportunity. Learned a lot with that. So I'm a degreed mechanical, but all the work I've done is structural in nature, okay, basically stresses and strains, strength of materials, that kind of thing. So after um, Westinghouse got sold, I exited and went into the nuclear business and spent about five years um, uh, doing that. Um, then I moved, I was in North Carolina for those positions. Then I moved back to South Carolina. I'm a native of South Carolina and um, went, moved to Charleston and started up my own business, uh, Sanford Engineering, and ran that company for about 12 years. My niche was single family residential new construction. And so all the big, beautiful houses that were being built in about the mid 2000s in, until the bubble burst in about 08, 09. Um, Anyway, the Mount Pleasant, Daniel Island, Sea Islands, Kiowa, Seabrook, Isle of Palms, Sullivan Island, all those is where I was designing foundations and framing systems for these luxury houses. Um, that business did run its course. We lost most of our clientele uh, after the bubble burst. So I moved on and worked for f- some consulting firms, again, in the, in the structural world. With Sanford and with the consulting firms, I shifted gears from machinery, from rotating parts, to stationary structures, basically what we call static structures, houses and buildings and the like. So uh, I wrapped up that about two years ago, and then during the COVID year, I did take a detour. I I shifted gears and moved to Columbia um, and went into teaching. I taught school. I taught high school math for about a year, um, about nine months actually uh anyway the 11th and 12th graders geometry algebra 2 pre-calculus and the like um so i was given back there it was a good opportunity but then i was presented the opportunity to get in the forensic uh, world with warren and that's who i've been with now 
uh, you know, for the majority of, of the second half of this year after we got out of COVID. So now I'm a forensic structural guy and I'm really enjoying the work I do for Warren. And uh, you read my bio as to their, my areas of expertise with them. Thank you, George. Well, I wanted to talk to you this morning uh, about the numerous high-rise structures that are on the coast of South Carolina. You know, we have the Grand Strand Tourist Hub. Lots of folks come visit. Lots of folks uh, own properties on the coast, near the coast, or directly at the beach. And it's important how those structures are built, designed, and maintained. And if you could just kind of start us off with from the soil up, the strata up, and, uh, you know, what's, what's an appropriate way to, um, you know, to analyze when and where to, to, to build one of these multi, you know, multi-floor right. high-rise. story. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I, you know, have been practicing in South Carolina now for about 25 years, know a lot about designing structures around the state, you know, from the upstate to the Midlands to the low country. So, but what we're specifically interested in is, is the larger structures, our high-rise structures in the low country and the Grand Strand, um, the multi-stories, the large uh, high-rise apartment and condo complexes, and the hotels. Um, so what I know about the design, I can speak to, to that mainly, is that they are supported on deeply driven piles, okay? We have to, we have to drive pre-stressed, pre-cast concrete piles down to our bearing stratum, which we call the marl. Um, it's clustered around the low country, that's our primary geo ancient geologic formation. That's our load-bearing stratum. It's, it's not a rock. It is ancient coral reefs and other uh, types of geologic formations. But we drive down to the mall. Um, a good example is our big bridge in Charleston, the Ravenel Bridge, the Cooper River Bridge. They drove piles to support that thing down to the mall below the harbor. Okay. So uh, for these high-rise structures, on the beach, primarily, you know, beachfront is, is what it's all about um, for property value and for resale and the like. We have to drive those piles down to Bering Stratum, down to the Marl, to support the structures. Um, the structures are generally uh, built of either concrete, they're either concrete buildings, meaning concrete foundations, concrete slabs, concrete floors, concrete walls, and, and even concrete roofs. Um, concrete roofs help with the uplift that we get from the high wind events. Um, the other method of construction is light-framed, which you would find light, what we call light-grade steel studs, um, and they would generally be uh, finished with an EFIS or a exterior finish and insulation, an insulation system that is a type of stucco okay so they look like concrete but in actuality they're light framed but the the skeleton I guess you'd say or the primary load bearing members are structural steel they are wide flange I-beams and uh, other shapes like that to support the light framing around them so that's how we build our structures around here. So the design is very important, you know, your architects and your engineers, and then the contractors, very important to do things correctly per plan. George, thank you for that, uh, that outline of you know, how structures are built on the coast. Because these large buildings are built on the coast, they are constantly exposed 
to you know, saline, salt water, salt water air, salt water mist. What kind of issues can that harsh environment right next to the ocean create for these high-rise buildings? Right. Good, very good question. So I mentioned that most of the buildings are concrete, and so that is the primary construction material of these high-rise structures. It's the most economical in many cases, and it's the most common. So the problem with concrete in a salt air and a salt water environment, and these structures, you know, they're subjected to storm scourge flooding, you know, during the hurricane. So they see salt water invasion of the lower levels. And the problem with concrete is that it's a porous material. And it's also very brittle, okay, so it cracks very easily. If anybody has ever worked with concrete or has concrete around their house, like in their garages and things, you'll see the hairline cracks, okay? Concrete will crack over time. It's just, you know, it's just a nature of the beast. At any rate, what gives concrete its strength in tension and in bending, it's very strong in compression, but it has no strength in tension. What gives it the strength is the reinforcing steel, the rebar, uh, embedded in the concrete and and bonded to the concrete the bars are deformed bars they have neurals on them or you know ribs that bite into the concrete so that's how concrete gets its strength in bending and in tension so so what can happen with these structures on the front beach and near the ocean salt water and salt air and um yeah, saline, like you mentioned, saline mist, you get the salt fog, you know. It can destructively in, in, invade and intrude on the concrete itself and wick into or seep into, basically soak into the concrete. And then it finds its way to the reinforcing steel, okay? It finds its way to the rebar, Um the rebar is a mild carbon steel, unfinished. You can also get galvanized or epoxy coated, which is resistant, but it's much more expensive than the standard, you know, uh, what I'd call a hot rolled or mild steel, carbon steel. So that's generally what you find. And when saltwater intrusion makes contact with the reinforcing steel, particularly over a wet and dry cycle like tide changes or changes in seasons, um, hurricane flood to dry, it will corrode. It will rust. And what happens is when it rusts, the, the iron oxide causes the, the material to swell. The swelling causes what we call spalling of the concrete. The, the concrete will bust away or break around the reinforcing steel and expose the rusted reinforcing steel. So we see that in, in these concrete structures quite regularly. So the key is there's, some, there's several methods of trying to avoid spalling and rusting of rebar. You can use a denser concrete mix, which is less, in, uh, less prone to saltwater intrusion or any water intrusion, any moisture intrusion. Uh, or you can use a sealed concrete. You seal it with an epoxy or another type of sealant. Um, uh, one thing that's used on the concrete piles is what's called coal tar epoxy, and it is what it sounds. It is a caustic-type material that it comes from coal tar, but it's very effective at keeping out salt water, particularly for piles that are driven below grade and are driven below the water table. So it keeps out fresh water and salt water. 
Um, so those are keys about how you can treat concrete. The concrete piles themselves, the foundation, the load-bearing members below the structure, many times for the portion of the pile driven below grade, okay, driven into the dirt, it obviously goes through the water table, you know, to get down to the marl. Um, so there, many times they're 60, 80, 100 feet in length to get down where they need to get. And so the portion, particularly near salt water, that is driven below grade is coated with a coal tar epoxy in many cases. Often businesses and individuals who acquire property on the coast don't have any input on uh, the construction materials used or the sequencing of the construction because they've bought the property well after it's been constructed. What are some steps that businesses, individuals, HOAs, property owners can take to maintain these large concrete structures. Right, that is the key. You use the word maintain. So maintenance is the key, keeping on top of the issue. Um, they, the structures need to be inspected, particularly the load-bearing members, okay, which in a concrete building is pretty much everything you see, you know, your beams, your columns, your piles, your foundation. You can't really see those, but... Um, we have confidence in those because they're generally made out of very high strength and very dense concrete, 10,000 PSI compressive strength typically. So what they need to do, what these owners and um, you know, supervisors and contractors need to do is maintain, basically inspect, inspect and identify any problem areas where, the, where rusted rebar is visible and spalling of concrete is visible. It's easily detectable. So what can be done at that point is you can route out, okay? You can route or, uh, you know, drill, basically remove rust, remove damaged concrete, and repair it. And what I would point people to is the guidelines in the ICRI, the International Concrete Repair Institute, that has a wealth of information. They have a wealth of information with their specifications on how to repair concrete that's already seen damage of the type I've, I've discussed. George, you do a lot of forensic investigations. And, and forensically speaking, what are some telltale signs that you know, property owners can, can, can use uh, to identify if they have any issues with their concrete structure? Right. Usually, you know, visual inspection is you know the most most effective but there's some other means you can use infrared scanners um, that can look at the reinforcing and determine if you have moisture intrusion you know if there's moisture and water inside the concrete which you know if it's been subjected to water um, it will find its way in because it's such a porous material um, so um, that's what that's the key, you know, is, is visually inspecting it. Um, you can use infrared. You can use some scanning technologies, ultrasound, that type of thing. Um, in most cases, though, visual is going to be sufficient, and it will identify not only if the concrete is cracked, which in many cases it will be, but if there is any underlying damage which has occurred. If property owners, either by their own actions or through their hiring an expert to inspect the building, find issues with their structure, what, what should they do? 
Right. Well, you've got to you've got to involve forensic engineers like myself. Okay, experts who know who have seen this kind of thing, understand the issue, and know what type of corrective actions need to be taken. Now, we in the forensic world, we don't get into providing specific, detailed design specifications, okay? Yep, we identify, um, we identify the problems, okay? We identify the fact that corrective actions need to take place, okay, that need to be performed. So um, that's what you do is you hire somebody like me um, to write a report, okay, about the summary of the condition of the structure, and then competent contractors would take the report and also design engineers, okay, uh, architectural and what we call MEP firms, um, design firms, structural design engineers, um, forensic architects, all types of professionals uh, to direct the contractors on what to do. And they will workshop a solution. Absolutely. Right? Yes, sir. Well, George, thank you for your time this morning. If, if folks wanted to contact you, uh, how would they go about doing so? Yeah, the best way is just to go to our website. We're at warnforensics.com. It's all one word. It's kind of a mouthful, but it's warnforensics.com. You'll see our experts there. We have expertise in just about any engineering discipline you can imagine. Um, I'm the structural expert. You'll find me on there. Um, so go to our website, you can click on our pictures, see what our, you know, download our bios, our CVs, see what our area of expertise is are, and then they can contact our switchboard operator who can point them in, in the right direction, basically connect them with the right expert. And our number is area code 803-732-6600. We're located in Irmo. George, again, thank you for your time this morning and have a good weekend. Very good. Thank you, Claude. Enjoyed it. Appreciate it. You've been listening to forensic engineer George Sanford, along with Collins and Lacey, attorney and shareholder Claude Prevost. For more legal news of interest to South Carolina businesses, join us right here for the next episode of The Legal Bench. You've been listening to The Legal Bench from the South Carolina defense firm Collins and Lacey. Learn more at collinsandlacey.com.